Hello and welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. So glad you chose to join us this week on our adult Bible study, a brand new study, brand new series entitled Beyond Sunday. I've been talking about it, leading up to it, I had a few vid- videos about it. Well, today we had our first lesson. I went about 38 minutes on it, a little longer than normal, but um, and there was a lot of a foundational work, but I believe it was important. There's some, there's some truths in here in the passage we're going to look at in Galatians some illustrations that I, I think make the truth so real. So I hope you listen all 38 minutes. I really think it's going to be a great kickstart to this study. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. We had a great class, great atmosphere in there. And so well, let's get started. Without further ado, here is our first study entitled, I Was Saved by Faith, Now What? Here we go. You'll hear me joking with them a little bit about my artwork. I have three stick figures. You've probably seen it on the on the blog or the podcast or the newsletter, but I had three stick figures named Bob, Debbie, and Carl. So you'll hear me referencing that in there. But uh, again, here we go. Let's get started. Okay, let's get started. The new series. You can go ahead if you want and turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to get there towards the end though, all right? So a lot of introductory stuff, but helpful. This series is going to be... Um, this series is adapted from, I'm, I'm, I'm reading another, a book again, I've read it before, Changed into His Image by Jim Berg, so I'm adapting some of it from that and some others that I'm reading and just some thoughts that I've been thinking through when it comes to the Christian life. Now, as you guys saw in my advertisement, those listening via podcast later will not get the privilege that you guys have of seeing this, but um, Ellie copied it over for me. In this goofy little thing that I did on purpose, I didn't give you the fine artwork, but I, so you would remember how goofy it is. Uh, we just drew, I just drew this up. And because here, here's, this is what I do at the bank. I was sitting at the bank and I was trying to think through this series a few weeks ago. And I was trying to make it make sense to me before I start to really dive in and study it all. And, and so I was literally just scribbling on my notepad there while I was doing banking work. Hopefully they don't listen to the podcast, but, uh, or Leah doesn't rat me out, but other than those two things. And I just started scribbling down some pictures, and then I started to write something that was just somewhat, just, it was just meant to help me think through our series. And here, here's what I wrote, just for the fun of it. You may have already read it, but I said... Uh, Referring to the first guy here with my hairstyle, the two pieces of hair, I said, meet Bob. Bob is Bob the believer. Bob just got saved. He has no idea what he's going to do next. He knows hell is bad and heaven's good, but how does he navigate the Christian life? Bob's heard about the devil. He assumes that's the bad guy and wants to do wrong, but, but Bob wants to do right. He wants to be a better husband. He wants to be a better dad. Bob used to do things that now make him feel bad. So how does Bob change? Next to Bob is Debbie Downer. She's a member of the local church, soprano in the choir, and a deliverer of snacks every year at Vacation Bible School. That's like the highlight of Vacation Bible School if you have the snacks. We didn't have them this year. Rarely does Debbie miss church, but she has a secret. She has no idea how to live the victorious Christian life that the pastor talks about. She hasn't touched a drop of alcohol in years. She's disgusted at the thought of cigarettes, but... She knows her tongue can be a deadly weapon. Not even a mile out of the church parking lot, she has degraded her husband, scolded her children, and questioned the weird-looking guy sitting and visiting the church. I think that may have been you over here, but uh, I don't know. (laughs) Debbie clings to the pastor's comment that you cannot lose your salvation, but if she's honest, sometimes she doesn't feel like a Christian. 
She hates the person she's become, but the thought of telling anyone at church is just too much. I mean, she's a member there now. She should know these things, right? Is there any hope? And then up ahead is one more guy. You see him there in the picture. That's complacent Carl. Carl would be the first to tell you his life is better when he walks with God. He knows how to because he's heard it a hundred times, yet he has no desire to do anything about it. Deep down, he knows it's because he can tend to be lazy, and he enjoys zoning out and feeding his addiction to media rather than pursuing God. He still enjoys the pleasures of sin from time to time. Oh, not too bad. Well, at least compared to sinful Steve that used to go to church here. But bad enough that he doesn't post about it on social media. He doesn't even tell his wife about some of the things. Maybe get hard. It may be hard. And this line I just put in for whenever I was going to say this to the church. But to get Carl to attend a Sunday school class, he's heard all the things before, and he'd rather just sleep in. But if he did, could Carl have a vibrant walk with God again? Now, every church. The reason I wrote this, and and then I'll get done reading here in a second. But every church has men and women just like these three. These three. When I was sitting there in the bank, I was just visualizing a. Some of what you find in churches today, they, they are men and women that are disciplined enough to be at church, but they're still confused. They're sensitive enough to know they need help, but they're often too scared or maybe too prideful to ask for help. They know enough church language to fit in on Sunday, but not enough Bible to survive Monday through Saturday. So their life becomes a roller coaster of frustration and desiring the abundant life that Jesus promised and that they hear about on Sundays, but they're living in a hamster wheel of a defeated life. They're saved, but struggling. And then that leads to the series, How Can They Take Their Faith Beyond Sunday? And so that was what I just wrote a few weeks ago as I was just thinking about this series. I was thinking about how, because a lot of times we may not, we, maybe you find yourself identifying, maybe you're a newer believer, you don't know a lot about the Bible, and you say, I just don't know a lot about the Bible, so I'm excited, and I want, I know the basics, the devil's bad, hell's bad, heaven's good, God's good, but I don't know how to embrace everything that the Bible has for me, I don't even know how to understand the Bible, and maybe some of you are like Debbie, Okay, if you're a guy, you can be whatever, Bob. Or, or no, you can't be Bob. I always had Bob. I always picked Bob. But uh, John, all right? But uh, you, you've been coming to church, and you, you're active maybe in the church, but you're still just kind of like, I don't know. I, I can do the right things, and I can talk the right words, but I still just, I'm just struggling. Then you have Carl that he just doesn't care. He'll do what he has to do. He knows he's supposed to be at church, so he comes to church. But... He doesn't. He's not going to come to anything. He's just going to. He's going to just be there to show up, check it off the list. And so, with those kind of thoughts in mind, I've I've got to thinking about this series and reading about this series. And and uh, I I wanted to, by way of introduction, talk about a little bit of, about this words that we're going to be using and uh, explain it a little bit. On this graphic that I put up here, it's really s- small, but. These lines represent some big moments in life. The first, before this first line is just when you're unsaved. For a lot of us, uh, for me, I got saved at 12. So I had 11 years or 12 years before that line. Some of you may have got saved later in life. How many of you got saved between, I'm not going to say zero. You didn't get saved at zero, okay? Or not that. But how many got saved between, like, let's say, 4 or 5 to 10? How many got saved 4 or 5 to 10? 
All right, how many got saved between 10 and 20? My hand's raised there. Very good. How many got saved between 20 to 30? Raise your hand, man. All right, anybody uh, 30 to 40? 40 to 50? 50 to 60? 70 to 80? Close to dead? To All right. All right, very good. So some of you have several years in this unsaved time, but then something happened. And in some place, at some time, whether you were at church or at your home, or I was at my home and I shared it in vacation Bible school, you got saved. And all of us in this room, if, we, if we're truly saved, we got saved by faith, right? Not by works. I'm going to come back to that. But we got saved by faith. We did not get saved by works. And that happened, and we all know about salvation, and we talk about that. And then we skip this part, and we all know that one day we're going to die. And we talk about that sometimes. And we say how we don't want to die, and I don't want to go this way, and I don't want to go that way. And if I die, and we, th- we think about that. And we know heaven's coming, because that's a lot of times what led us here is we're like, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. And so we think, great, I got saved, now I'm going to heaven. So we think about this time right here. But for some of us, we've got a lot of years left in this middle stage. That middle stage is called sanctification. And I'm going to be talking about sanctification in this series. I'm going to talk about it some today. But when I say the word sanctification, I want you to think about that's the time between when you got saved and when you go to heaven. And it's a very important time, and it's a time that we often forget. And I'm going to say this later on. I need to get back to my notes here in a second. I have more notes than I usually do in the sense of I usually just have a few bullet points and I teach. But I want this series, and I want to make sure that I've done my homework because I I really believe that we have a struggle in churches today in this part right here in sanctification. And I'm going to get to some illustrations in a second, not individual illustrations, but some thoughts that I think we're seeing in this sanctification. And here's one of the things I'm going to say up front, and I'm going to get to it at the end of the lesson when we get to our actual text. A lot of people were saved by faith. We all agree with that, right? I don't think there's anybody in this room that thinks you get to, you get, get to heaven by your good works, all right? We could prove, we can knock that out of the water super quick. For by grace are you saved through faith. Everybody understands it's by faith that you are saved. But then we get into the sanctification and we get to where we think we have to do things to be sanctified. I have to do things to become like Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden we turn into legalists. Now, are there things we should do as Christians? Yes. But we don't do those to earn God's favor. We don't do those to earn God's grace. Just like I couldn't do anything to earn God's salvation. So I'm saved by faith, and the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so I wanted you to see that. I don't want to cover up my great artwork, so that's going to be down here for a second. Uh, But I wanted you to see that because when we get into this, I want you, when I say the word sanctification, I want you to think that's after I got saved and that's before I go to heaven. That's that time period. Now, with that said, let me give you some introductory thoughts. Have you ever set out to help someone and you really didn't know what you were doing? I was, um, you know, some of you know Chris Chavez, and I was up at Chris Chavez's mother and father-in-law's house one time in Lansing, Michigan, and we were playing some, some cards, and, and uh, his, bro- uh, his brother-in-laws were all there, which is Leroy, who's a missionary to Honduras, and, and uh, Josh, and some of them, 
And so we're, we're playing cards, and I'm a competitive person, so and they're competitive, so I just went into it thinking I'm going to beat you. I think we were playing a game, is it called Pit or something? There was these, I don't know, it was all these cards. I don't remember what it was. But I was like, I'm going to beat them, and they're going to beat me. And I don't remember who won. I'm sure I won. All right, I'm just sure I won. If they're listening to this, sorry. But I don't know who won. But then after, after that, all of a sudden, one of them speaks up and says, hey, I've got to drop the engine in this car and put a new transmission in. You guys want to go out in the garage? Let's just do it. They knew it was going to take hours. And I'm over there going, uh-oh, no, no, no. I don't know the first thing about cars, all right? Let's just keep playing cards. I don't know anything. They're like, oh, yeah, let's do it. All of us work together. It'll be fun. I'm like, there's nothing fun about dropping in. I don't even know what dropping an engine meant, but it, I think it meant like we're literally taking everything that's under that hood that looks intimidating and we're pulling it out. So like, yeah, let's go. So they all go out there. And for the next, I don't know how many hours. If I say an hour, some of you that were actually working on vehicles will be like, that's, that's not long enough. Felt like four or five hours. Maybe it was too long. Maybe it was too short. I don't remember. But we sat out there, and they were taking everything apart. And I, just, and I was there to help, but I didn't know what I was doing. And they knew it, so they started to make fun of me. They're like, all right, can you, uh, can you go over there? I can't even say a terminology for something under the hood, under the battery, all right? So let me just use the battery. Say, can you go over there and unhook the battery? I'm like, uh, yeah, what do I need? I mean, I, was, I had no idea. And so I was there, but it, I really wasn't helping. And someone said it's kind of like Christopher Columbus is an experience he had. And you think about his problem is he went, he set out westward to find a westward passage to Asia, but he had little idea where he was going and didn't know when he got to where he was, where he was. And that's why somebody made this, I saw this online, someone made this award. It says this award, it's called it the Christopher Columbus Award. And they said this award goes to those who like good old Chris when they set out to do something, don't know where they're going, neither do they know how they get there. When they arrive, they don't know where they are. And when they return, they don't know where they've been. And that's kind of what I felt like that day working on that engine. But sadly and tragically, that's how a lot of Christians enter this sanctification process. They're a lot like me at an engine or Christopher Columbus setting out westward trying to find Asia. We don't know where we're going, what we're doing. We have no idea what's going on. And so... The difference, though, is this journey that we are on as, as believers has been carefully mapped out by the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, and he's there with us. So in this series, we're going to talk about sanctification. There are synonyms for this word sanctification, like you may hear the phrase biblical change. Sometimes you'll hear these now. You hear our pastor preaches, they say the words biblical change, that's sanctification. You may hear the words, we need to grow in Christ, or we need to grow. What, what do you mean by grow? Or some of us are very successful at growing this way. What do you mean grow? It's not physical. When you hear a pastor talking about it, it's synonymous with this word sanctification. We need to grow. We need to be sanctified. It's talking about that period in between when I got saved and when I died. You may hear him say, we need to become like Christ. You think, well, what do we, what's he mean, become like Christ? He's talking about that sanctification time. Because salvation, as I've already said, is when a person becomes a Christian by accepting Jesus Christ as their personal substitute for their sins. That takes place by faith, not by works. But once you become a Christian, the process of God working in us to change us to become more like Jesus Christ in a variety of areas, but that would include our attitude, our ambitions, and our actions. As he's molding us to be more like Jesus in those areas, that's what we call sanctification. That's growing in Christ. 
Now, I think I put all these in your notes, but God uses many things to accomplish this. And I can't talk about all of these in a 10-week series, but I'll bring them up. But I want you to think about this. If, if God's goal in your life in this sanctification process is to be more like Jesus Christ, he's going to use a variety of tools, okay? And some of them we don't like. He's going to use temptations. Temptation. Now, does God tempt us? No, but temptations are out there, and God will use what Satan wants to do. And I'll come back to that lesson in a few weeks. He'll use the temptations that Satan's putting out there to build you to be more like Jesus. Was Jesus tempted? He'll use trials. Boy, we don't like trials. We don't like pain. But that's one of the key areas of growth is trials in your life. Because it's through the trials that you build and grow in your faith. Just like weightlifting. I mean, I, I don't necessarily like to be under 250 pounds of bench. I noticed I threw 250 on there. I don't know if I could do that right now. But I did it at one point. This guy watched me. I did more than that. But, but uh, I mean, that's not like I'm sitting there smiling when Ryan was spotting me. This is awesome. This is amazing. No, I was like, oh, I was dying. But from that, I mean, look. I'm just kidding. All right. I mean, from that in that moment, it was supposed to work that way where you gain. That, that's, how, that's how it works. So we've got trials. You know the local church God uses to accomplish this process of sanctification. And then obviously he uses his word, the Bible, and he uses his Holy Spirit who indwells us. All of that is key in this process of sanctification. Now for some of you, this is new, new to you, and that's great. For others of you, it's like, I kind of know this, but we have to set the foundation. For about five weeks, we are going to cultivate the soil of your heart. You know what cultivating means? You ever worked in a garden? Thankfully, I was donated uh, or given uh, a, a rotor tiller this year. And so those aren't just supposed to sit in your garage, I guess. Well, they did for nine years for you, but uh, for they weren't supposed to. And so we have some land out there, and my wife likes to garden. So here I am out there, you know, and it wasn't too bad. But uh, we're out there doing it, and we're working up that ground. Now, I'm not smart with a lot of things, but I knew you can't just walk out to where grass is, take some gr green beans and be like, hey, let's just throw them out here like this. This gardening stuff, this is easy. Give me, hand me the corn, rip it open, just start throwing it out here like this. And then sit back and say, I can't believe that there's no corn or beans. It doesn't work that way. We all know you got to cultivate. you got to get the ground ready so that you can see, and like we're seeing now, she's been pulling off beans, she's been pulling off tomatoes, she's been pulling off all why? Because, because that ground got worked up really, really good. All right? Just kidding. So now, over the next five weeks, we're going to cultivate the ground in different areas. It's going to be some painful moments. If the ground had a, could speak while that rotor tiller was going over, it's going to be like, this is painful, right? Well, our heart is going to be able to speak over the next five weeks, and it's going to, hey, some of this is, boy, this rubs, this rubs a little painful. Why? Because we've got to cultivate the ground if we're going to see the fruit. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to, that's how I view the first half of this series is cultivating the ground. And, and then I'll say this last thing by introduction, then I want to get to this first little point here. Sanctification is, a, is progressive, meaning that it's not something that happens all at once. You don't, you're not going to see someone today go forward to the altar, they're going to get saved, and all of a sudden there's no struggle with sin anymore, they're just like Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. We all have a battle every single day. Now, this next point I think is important. Because here's where I think a lot of us, and we don't even see it, 
But this is where a lot of us, myself included, struggle. Because we have, and I'm trying to think of the right word on the spot, we have a false sense of sanctification. We think, hey, I'm becoming like Jesus Christ, and it's not the type of change that's biblical. And here's what I mean. Look at these illustrations. I don't know if what I put in your notes. But I put in your notes, number one, not just any change will do. Because a lot of times we think, well, you know what? I'm seeing change in my life, so it's, it's going good. But you could be like these illustrations. L- listen to this illustration. A spoiled teen might stop pouting, but only because his parents gave in and gave him what he wanted. Is that biblical change? Can we say now all of a sudden, well, look at that. Man, my, my son or daughter is walking in the spirit. They changed, but you just gave them what they've been whining about for one hour. That's not biblical change. Okay, let's go a little a depressed wife may become cheerful again, but only because her alcoholic husband has granted her a divorce. Is that biblical change? Not saying that that scenario may not be something that she would delight in, but I'm just saying, is that biblical change? No. A college student may be getting better grades, but only because she's found a boyfriend or someone, uh, some affection that lifted her spirits so that she, can, she feels like studying again. There's change. She went from not studying to studying, but is it biblical change? No. An embittered employee may stop complaining about his boss's decisions, but only because his boss was transferred to another department and he's got a new boss. That's not biblical change. But I think in our society today, in our churches today, we have a lot of people that view the change like that as biblical change. But these types of changes are only a mere relief of symptoms. The real problem hasn't been solved. And so we, the real problem in these scenarios isn't the lack of car, it isn't the bad husband, it isn't the lack of boyfriend, or it isn't the boss. The greatest problems in life, now get this line right here, the greatest problems that we have are not around us, they're in us. And this is part of the cultivating of the ground. This is the part that we don't like. We like to blame the boss. We like to blame the other situations. That's not going to bring about biblical change. Because guess what happens? Here's what you'll see. Somebody's at a job, and they don't like their job. And they post on Facebook that my boss, you know when there's some meme or something about complaining about your boss? And here's what I think every time. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave that job in a matter of time, and you're going to go to another job. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to start great. And the next thing you know, you're posting memes about how terrible your boss is. You know why? Because the problem is not your boss necessarily. The problem is you. And you just, your problem just keeps following you because the problem is you. It's like Charles Spurgeon said. He said, uh, the, in, in, or D.L. Moody, one of the two, he said, the greatest problem I have in this life is the person underneath this hat. And he was wearing a top hat. He said, the person underneath this hat. Because we, it's, it's easy in our flesh to want to point fingers and say, there's the problem right there. No, the problem is you. Okay. That sounded great, but let's, let's, let me, let me list, give you a couple verses here. Mark, I think these are in your, in your notes there. Mark 7, look at verse 21 through 23. It says, Jesus speaking, you can't see the red letters if it's in, on your notes, but he says in Mark 7, 21 through 23, he says, For within, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, 
lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Boy, all of that is within us. It's all possible. That's there. We would call it if, and I'm going to get to this next week more, but if we bottled it up, you know what we call that? And you'll hear it in messages today. It's called the flesh. That's our flesh. That's who we are in our flesh bin naturally. James 4 says this. Think about this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Now, James was not writing to the Ukraines and Russias. He's writing to individuals that are warring in their homes, warring in their churches. So where does the fights and the conflicts that work in churches and homes, where does all of that come from? He says, they come not, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. That word members means your body. Do you know where the strife comes from that we have in our society today? It comes from within us. There's a war in my heart. I've been hurt. I've been affected. I've been, I'm insecure about my situation. I'm, I don't like this. And so I'm lashing out. That's what he says. The, the, it comes from your, the lust in your own hearts. And you may say, all right, I see it there in the Bible, but I just don't get it. Well, I love this illustration Jim Burr gives in his book. It's, a, it's an illustration of a tea bag. I read this book probably when I was in college, and I've never forgotten this illustration that I found it again. But, and I didn't bring it in today, but he says when you take a tea bag and you place it in a teacup, everybody's made some, so I've even made tea before, all right? So I think we have, an, uh, someone understands this. When you take a tea bag and you place it in a teacup and you fill that cup with hot water, the water activates the tea in the bag and it unleashes the taste into the water all around it. The hot water didn't create the taste, did it not? Did it? Try drinking hot water today if you think it did. It did not create the taste. It only simply revealed and drew out what was already in the bag. Okay? That's the same as our hearts. The pressures around us, the unfavorable circumstances, the temptations, the bosses, the, the spouses, whatever, they only simply draw out of the heart what was already in it. We can't blame the hot water for the taste in the cup. What's in the tea bag determines the taste, and we don't like the taste. If we don't like the taste, then we got to change the tea. Similarly, we can't shift the blame for any bitterness or anger or despair or deception or cruelty or anything on outside pressure. The pressures are only exposing what's inside and what needs to be sanctified. And I, when, he wrote, when he wrote that, and I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, that, that illustration hit me as hard as it hit me when I read it in college. But it, it's because it's so natural in our society today to want to point fingers. But if we're going to see biblical change, not circumstance change, anyone can feel better when their circumstances get better. That's not biblical sanctification. If we really want to see biblical sanctification, we've got to get the rototiller going in our heart and dig up that ground so that we can see the fruit come. And so, so I think about an illustration, the Bible illustration. We're going to get to our key verse here in a second. All right, we're going to get to it. All right, got to hurry. But think of a Bible illustration, Paul and Silas. Do you guys, what happened to Paul and Silas in Acts 16? Anybody remember? Acts 16, Paul and Silas. They were whipped, thrown into prison. What for? What did they cheat on their taxes? Did they kill somebody? 
for preaching the gospel. They, a demon-possessed girl. So this girl that's been just demon-possessed is following them. They cast the demons out, which, which messed with the person that was hiring them. I mean, that was using her to do these divinations, it says, and stuff. And, but, but she got saved, and the demons left. And they got mad and threw them in prison. That's, could we say that's a hot water situation? That's a hot water situation that's going to bring something out of Paul. What is it? Well, you can go read Acts 16. You know what it brought out? It brought out praise and prayer. Well, hold on a second. Paul and Silas, you've just been lied about. You've just been falsely imprisoned. And all these bad things are happening to you. But because the teabag of their heart was pure. And so when they got stuck in a bad situation, what came out was pure. It was praise and it was prayer. And you know what God did? He answered a prayer. He opened the prison. The whole, everybody in prison got saved. The jailer got saved. His family got saved. They got baptized. Everything changed. Why? Because he was in a hot water situation but within his heart, he has been sanctified. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but what I meant is he's walking in the Spirit. Well, we're gonna, that's a lesson we're going to get to later. But he's walking in the Spirit, and now the outside pressure comes, and it brings out something beautiful, something great. Could that happen to you? Would that happen to you? Just say today in church, somebody falsely says something about you. And today in church, someone comes and does something that you don't like. What's going to come from that heart of yours? I know it's probably going to come from mine if I'm not careful. Some things that need sanctified. So, the, well, that's the, the illustration of the tea bag. It's always helped me. So, the goal is change. And this series, and we're getting to the end of this, but the series is about change. Change that involves warring against my sinful flesh and the sinful flesh that's within us. And the result of this sanctification process is that we're going to look more like Jesus Christ. We are going to grow that sanctif sanctification terminology as Christians. And I think about this. Jesus didn't leave heaven, die on the cross, live a sinless life among sinners, die on the cross, and all of this so that we can just have a somewhat better life and just endure. Let's just endure this process right here. It's kind of all right. Then we get to go to heaven. He didn't do all of that so that you can just endure this. You see, we only look at the gospel of what Jesus did on the cross. We only look at it as one transaction. He died so I can go here to heaven. Let, let me get this as clear as I possibly can. You didn't, salvation is not just for you to get to heaven. It's so much more than that. That is the most simple Bob the Believer view of it. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you think that. That probably all you get taught. But if if all you think you got that day you got saved was heaven, then you are missing out on an abundance of blessings. Because you're going to have a lot of years in here where you're suffering, you're frustrated, and you don't understand. You're on the hamster wheel of frustration. Because you only think the reward is heaven. If I can just get to heaven, then everything's going to be good, and I get to, I get to cash in on what I got at salvation. No, no, no. You got Jesus today. So all of the stuff that you're going through right now, that he's given you hope. You don't have to be miserable. That's sanctification. 
And so, but we just don't, we don't, we don't think of it because the gospel only gets taught, hey, do this and you're in hell's bad, heaven's good. And when you get saved, you get to go to heaven one day, just hold on till you get there. No, heaven's to, heaven is one day a futurist thing, but you can have Christ today. You can see victory today. Now, okay, now Galatians chapter two, here it is. Here it is. And then I'm going to give you an illustration and we'll be done. This is the theme verse for this series. I've given you a lot of introductory stuff because I want us to. I want you to understand what true change is. Because we just. I don't think Christians get it today. We we think everything's. Man, look at how they're growing. Well, their circumstances are just better. Give them bad circumstances, and you're going to see the real them. Okay. But Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. Here's what Paul said. This is a one of my favorite verses. Paul said this. I am crucified. With Christ. That means right there, I am saved. He says, when Jesus died, I've identified with Jesus' death. I am crucified. I died to myself. I've received Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But I'm still alive. And so it didn't get saved and then immediately took me to heaven. I still got to live right now in this whole sanctification process. So I died with Christ at my salvation but I'm alive, but then watch the next three words. Look at those next three words. Yet not I. Was well, Paul like a body snatcher or something? What's he mean, yet not I? Is he, is he alive or is he not alive? Is he, what's going on here? So he's, he's crucified with Christ, but he's alive, yet not I. But watch this. Christ liveth in me. That's the Christian life. That's what's going to bring true change. You've got to realize that the salvation, when you got saved, it wasn't just, oh yeah, now I'm going to get to go to heaven. No, it is the fact that Jesus lives in you right now. As you sit here and listen to me teach this lesson, Jesus is in your heart, hopefully saying, that's true. That's true. That's the change you need. So Christ lives in you. And it says, and the life which I now live in the flesh. You know what that is, right? That's this word, sanctification. The, not, the life that I now live, he says, I'm crucified, that's here, but I'm still alive. So the life which I now live in the flesh, right here, until he dies, how does he live it? How is he going to get victory? How can Paul sit in prison, and how can he be, have such a good spirit? How does he live this life? This next phrase is going to be the key. So, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. Wait, that's how I got here. That's how I got saved. Is Paul confused? I mean, how do I live this by faith? Well, that's the whole New Testament that we just don't get in churches today a lot of times. Because we think I'm saved by faith, but I've got to work for my sanctification. No, you, sanctification is by faith. There are things that you do, but you do it in the power of Jesus Christ that lives in you. So you obey, but not in your own strength. We neglect Jesus. I work at a bank. It's like having a million dollars in your bank account and never coming and getting it. If you have a million dollars in your bank account, I'm going to see it, first of all, probably, and I'm going to watch it. And if I'm sitting there at my work illegally watching your account every day and you got a million dollars and you never touch it and then you die, you know what I'm going to think? What a waste. But so many go through this sanctification process with Jesus living inside of them and they never take advantage of it. They think, oh, I've changed. No, your circumstances just got better. You never tapped into what you have in Jesus. So this series is going to be, how do you tap into that? But notice this verse is so good. 
He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if the righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, these next three verses you have to get, all right? You have to get it to get this series. O foolish Galatians, so he's calling them fools, who hath bewitched you or tricked you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now this, uh, let me get to the next verse two, verse three is where I want you to go, but look at verse two. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye, no, this is it. Okay, answer this question for me. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, by hearing of faith. Okay, everybody in this room, did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing something or by faith when you got saved? By faith when you got saved. You can't do anything to receive the Holy Spirit. And it's a rhetorical question. He knows they're going to answer, well, I got him by faith. But now watch where he goes. Are ye so foolish? I won't say that to you guys, but here's what he says. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect, that's our sanctification word, by the flesh? He said, if you started in the whole, by Spirit, receiving him by faith, then do you think that your flesh, your works can get you to become perfect or become grow to mature as Christian? He said, it's not going to happen. He's saying that this whole process of sanctification is by faith. Now, I said I'll close with an illustration. Suppose I left here today and I said, hey, I'm going to go plow an 80-acre 80, uh, 80 field. Now, a lot of you would laugh, but if I said, I'm going to go plow an 80-acre field, it, would I go out there and grab that plow and just start pulling it behind me? Would I do that? No. It would be foolish. I couldn't move that 1,000-pound thing. But I would hook it up to a tractor, and then I would plow everything. And when I would get got done, I'd come back to you guys on Sunday night church and say, hey, guess what? I plowed an 80-acre field. And you guys wouldn't know what I meant, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think, wow, he grabbed that 1,000-pound plow. I mean, I know I flexed for you earlier, but you wouldn't think that I grabbed that plow and pulled it behind me. No one would think that. You all would think he hooked it up to a, trailer, or to a tractor and he pulled it. We all understand that. But as believers... So, so in a sense, I could say this. Like our verse, I could say, I plowed the field, yet not I, but the tractor plowed the field. That's what I could say. That's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, I'm crucified with Christ. I, this life I live in the flesh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So I'm going to be live the sanctified life. Well, yet not I, but Christ is going to do it for me. The process of change will involve the person of change, which is the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to meet him in this series. The Holy Spirit's going to take the word of God and he's going to change us to become like the son of God by faith as we obey his leading. We all have personal responsibility in this, but we can only carry out these responsibilities in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by faith. And that's an introductory lesson of what we're going to get into in this series. We're going to see the enemies of that, what's going to stop, because everything sounds good. Well, there's going to be some enemies. We're going to talk about the enemies. We're going to talk about dying to self. We're going to talk about several things, but that's the start. All right, let's pray.